Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 188. I'm your host, Blaine Putfay, and I'm joined now by a very special guest, uh, Jack Han. Uh, Jack, welcome to the show. Hi, Blaine. Uh, really happy to be here. Uh, honestly, you've been uh, someone I've been trying to get for quite some time, and I'm, I'm just really excited to have you here, especially uh, today with such timely news um, with... Um, with Niku signing with the Canadians and there were, you had a very, very interesting take several days back about Sammy Niku, but, and I want to get into that, but I want to just let my listeners know a little bit about you and where you're, uh, what you're doing now. So could you give them a little bit of a background? Yeah, sure. So uh, between 2017 and 2020, I wor- worked in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization uh, first in player development, uh, then in the front office, and then in my third year as an assistant coach with the AHL's Toronto Marlies. Uh, since that time, I've been working as a private consultant for uh, players from minor hockey all the way up to uh, NHL prospects. Uh, I've been active on Twitter, writing for a free newsletter, and also uh, writing several books about how to break down hockey from an insider's perspective. So the most recent one is called Hockey Tactics 2021. Uh, I encourage you to check it out, but, you know, first check out my free stuff. And if that's what you into, then you're in for a treat. Well, I'm going to say right off the top, your, your book, uh, hockey taxes, 2020 helped, uh, my son's Adam team last year, it led them to a set, a finals berth. So it was a big plus. <laughs> it works. It works. It, it works. Even if it doesn't matter how old you are, I try to do it on, at my age, but I just can't keep up with the kids. <laughs> uh, you know how it goes and, and before 
my Habs listeners get too upset that we brought someone that worked for Toronto. You do reside in Quebec. Yeah, so I I, uh, I was born in China, but I grew up in Montreal. I went, I did all my school in French, uh, thanks to the the, the Bill One Hundred One. Uh, I played hockey growing up. Um, I actually worked one year as a writer for the Montreal Canadiens team website, so I know the team, you know, inside and out. Uh, a few of my friends still work for the team, so you know, now I live like ten minutes away from the the practice rink in Brossard. So, so I'm. I'm a lifelong Habs fan. Um, not always uh, in agreement with what happens, but you know what? What can you do, right? Well, that's that's pretty much what Habs being a Habs fan is. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe uh, maybe by talking about it, uh, we can make things better. Who knows? You never know. We can try. We can definitely try. Um, and now I had a bunch of questions about uh, some of your, your work that you did on some of the Montreal Canadiens, but I want to dive right into the newest edition first. Um, as, of t- as we're recording, today is the 24th of September, and Sammy Niku just signed a one-year, two-way deal with the Canadiens. And you had an extremely interesting thread that talked about how to destroy a uh, young puck-moving uh, puck defenseman, and you used him as the example. So can you walk us through a little bit about that? Yeah, so so actually, you know, I've, I've never coached Sammy Niku, but I I did sort of you know work against him. So when I was in the Maple Leafs organization, I worked a lot with the Marlies, and um, obviously the Marlies they they would often play against the Manitoba Moose, which is Winnipeg's AHL affiliate. And in those years, you know, between 2017 and uh, and 2019. Basically, the, the number one threat on the Moose whenever the Marlies played them was Sammy Niku. He was a player that we had to be aware of all the time where he was on the ice uh, because he was very good with the puck. He, got, he was very active in transition, um, very good power play quarterback at that, at that level. So he was a player that I had, you know, that, that really had our attention. And over the years, it just seems like you know, being shuffled kind of back and forth between the AHL and the NHL and playing on a team that maybe don't value uh, puck moving Ds as much as uh, other other teams. Like, it really seems like his game was being stifled. And I remember, you know, 2019, 2020, like watching his game and it just looked like he was a shadow of who he was previously, which is really a shame when you're talking about a young player with a lot of potential. Yeah, yeah. So it did seem as though, and I watched him play a little bit when he was in uh, in Manitoba with the Moose. It, it did seem like they were trying to make him more of a stay-at-home type, a more defensive-minded player than to play to his strengths. Yeah. So the, the way that I would explain this is that defensemen are harder to, de- to develop than forwards because there's more things at play here. There are more things that you got to be aware of. So for a player like Sammy Niku uh, or, you know, even uh, Matthias Norlander, who's another player that I've, you know, broken down in the past and who I know a little bit, um, their, their way of defending is not by boxing you out in front of the net or, you know, hitting you or, making stops in the D zone. Their way of defending is, first of all, they control the puck so that you can attack them. And second, uh, they get up ice and then they stop you up ice with their skating and 
with their, their stick positioning before you can even, you know, gain the blue line and set up. And what was happening in Winnipeg over the years is that th their way of playing is relatively straightforward, where as a D, your job is just to fire the puck out of the zone, you know, stretch past to a forward and then um, stay back. So the way that Niku plays, which was very effective for him growing up in Europe, is he would go retrieve a puck, make a first play, and then sprint and get involved as the fourth forward almost. And at the AHL level, that, that was very successful for him initially, and he was able to get a lot of ozone time and then, you know, make plays at the point and pinch and set up, you know, set up shots and chances. But the more that he played at that level and the more that he got kind of yo-yo back and forth, the more passive and the more conservative he became in his risk-taking. And, you know, for some players, it does help them to be a little bit safer. But for players like Niku, whose strength are more in transition and more in the O-zone, what that did was he was now playing more in the defensive zone and his, his inherent flaws were being uh, magnified uh, way more than before so you know like he was maybe doing what the coaches were telling him to do but the more he did them the less effective he became as a player because that's just not his game and you know eventually it gets to a point where you know there's probably so much friction between the player and the organization that you know like they decide to mutually you know part ways and uh, you know pretty much go for a fresh start elsewhere. And it does seem like he's going to get that opportunity in Montreal. Um, and especially with, um, with the Canadians being a transition team, uh, most of the offense nowadays is created by that defenseman stepping up and being the fourth attacker. So that, that would be a beneficial role for him. Do you feel like his style and Norlander's style are similar? I mean, you've, you've spoken a little bit about the two of them already, but can you, is there a comparison there? So I do see kind of broad similarities. And for me, the hope with Norlander is he goes back to the SHL and he really dominates this year. And then maybe he can make the jump straight to the NHL later on. And, and, and the reason why is because if you have a defenseman who's active and who likes to be in the play and be up in the rush, you want to make sure that all the physical tools are in place before you throw them into a higher league. And because if, if a player like that has a feeling that he can't keep up, then he's going to start playing safe and then he's going to be ineffective. Or, you know, if the coaches recognize that maybe his, you know, he's not so overwhelmingly good offensively to merit the risk taking, then they're going to try to make his game really simple and then he's going to suffer. So it seems like Niku's already been through that and the hope is that Norlander doesn't have to. Like for me, his progression would have to be like uh, Arteri Lekkonen's, where Lekkonen stayed in Europe for a long time, didn't even come to most of the uh, development camps or training camps, and then all of a sudden he makes the NHL his first year in North America. Like, that's the kind of path that I see for Norlander, and probably, you know, it would have served Niku better to do that, even though he did put up really good numbers and he was really good in the AHL his first couple of years. Now, do you, do you see this signing, placing yourself in uh, Mark Bergevin's shoes, do you see the signing as a way of um, insulating Norlander, allowing him to go back, but still having the same type of player in the lineup? 
Yeah, uh, potentially I could see that. The, the one thing with Niku now is now it's almost like you got to build him back up because for the past year and a half, he's hardly played games. So he's lost kind of that feeling of making play on, plays under pressure. He played on a team that was really safe where he wasn't really rewarded for getting involved and stepping up and, and joining the rush. So you got you to gotta rebuild maybe not his, his game because, you know, he, he still skates and passes and makes plays, but just rebuilding his confidence and rebuilding his timing, I think. Like, like you got to take some time with this guy. Um, and you got to give him some leash. Like, I look at the way that the Habs decor is organized. They probably have a shutdown pair, like a pure shutdown pair with Sherratt and David Savard. Uh, they probably have like a, a two-way kind of deep pair with Edmondson and Petrie. So then the, the, the question is, uh, you know, where, the, where do the rest uh, fit in? So you got Romanov, you got Kulak, and then you got Niku, right? Uh, Chris Weidman, I don't think he's good enough to play at the NHL any longer. Like I've, I've seen him plenty in the AHL, and I just don't think, like he's good in the Ozone. He's got... He's a good passer and he's a good shooter, but in transition and on defense, I just don't see a whole lot there. Mm-hmm. So you're pretty much looking at three-man rotation on, at the back, unless I'm forgetting someone, which I, I, I might be. Uh, Golubov signed a PTO, but uh, I think that's more to protect at the uh, Laval level than it is Montreal. Yeah, so Golubov mm-hmm. and, and Weidman are really good AHL vets. I don't really see them being factors in the NHL. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was my, my expectation on Golubov. Uh, I thought Weidman had a chance of being that uh, seven, eight, six, seven, eight D man, <clears throat> depending if they go with eight or not. But with Nico's arrival, um, that really, that really shuffles the deck a little bit. Yeah. Like, so, so speaking of Weidman, like it, it kind of relates to the problems that Nico is going to have is that when you look at Chris Weidman play, like, He's a smaller guy. He's a good skater, good skills. Like you think that he creates offense, but then if you watch him play coming out of his own end, like off retrievals and on breakouts, he actually throws a lot of pucks away because he doesn't have that separation, you know, whether it's speed, whether it's stick handling, whether it's like, you know, reading the play, he, he just, he's not able to separate from four checkers. So if he has a clean play, he'll take it. But if he doesn't, he'll throw the puck away, like off the glass and out. And at the NHL level, like, like that's just not a good way to play, especially if you're if you're more of an offensive player, because like like you're the one as a defenseman, you're the person responsible for getting the play down ice and into the hands of your forwards. But if you're punting pucks coming out of your own end, you're 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 putting a lot of pressure on your teammates to retrieve pucks and to win battles. And you're, you're essentially not going to get into the ozone often enough to really be a net positive offensively. So that's what, that's what you see with Weidman. And that's what you've been seeing with Niku. And that's why analytically, like if you, if you talk to anybody who cares about expected goals or Corsi or, you know, Niku and Weidman, they're not really, they're not really stars analytically just, just because they don't get down ice with control often enough to really, be able to to create a lot of offense now you you spoke earlier about uh the confidence and i want to bring this over to uh ryan paling this is a young man who lacked confidence in his first professional season 
then he went down to, he was back and forth between the NHL and the AHL, much like Niku was. And he had a pretty good year last year. And this year he seems to be more confident in, in, in himself. He even states that, and I'm quoting him here. He says, you can't get frustrated with someone else's path being different from your own. I've learned that. And hopefully this year works out for me. So he doesn't seem to be putting as much pressure on himself to make the big club openly. Uh, what do you, what have you seen from him in the past that you think he has improved on and has it improved enough? Um, so has he improved? Uh, certainly. I mean, you know, I've, I've watched him play in the AHL this most recent season and in terms of his ability just to work hard and, you know, to be available, like he's gotten better. Like he's, he's pretty good on the four check. He's pretty good at retrieving pucks. Um, you know, winning battles physically. And the thing with Paling that's always bothered me, and, and this hasn't changed, is whenever he carries the puck, his upper body is really stiff. And that affects the quality of his puck carries. So a, a simple example is watch Ryan Paling carry the puck and then watch Cole Caulfield carry the puck. So Paling has the puck in front of him. His elbows are kind of collapsed his upper body is really stiff he's kind of bouncing up and down and then his puck is exposed and it has a tendency to bobble if you watch Cole Caulfield his, his upper body is way more relaxed he can kind of rotate pretty freely he keeps his puck kind of in what we call a, a hip pocket which is more to the side so it's easier for him to underhandle the puck and not really disturb it and that's why you see Cole Caulfield making plays at high speed under pressure. And you don't see Ryan Paling making plays at high speed under pressure. And, and this hasn't changed. And if you, if you're a player who carries a puck, puck like this in the NHL, you're going to get picked off a lot. You're going to turn the puck over a lot. You're going to have to be more of a dump and chase uh, sh- shot and retrieve kind of player. Whereas uh, you see Caulfield is way more of a, a playmaker and a puck carry. So in terms of Palin's problems, they haven't gone away. He's doing a little bit better, but I just generally, I just think that he was a poor pick in the first round. If you take this, this guy like third, fourth, fifth, seventh round, I think he's developed nicely, but with all the expectation that goes into being taken 25th overall, like I just, like, I just don't see it with him. Now I'm going to, tell my listeners be sure to go check out jack's work on his Substack. that's at jack hand you can find him on twitter check it out check out the Substack. he has a great article on paling and, and at the end of it you uh you conclude that he is not going to be a third line center at the nhl level do you feel that he's done enough though to become a winger at the nhl level i think so i mean if it, it, as a third line like left wing or fourth line winger like he I'm sure he's better than a lot of the guys who have NHL jobs now. So if, if the Habs, you know, if they're happy or, or if they're not, they're, they're not too disappointed in that, like, I think he can be an effective player and I think he can play for a number of years, but it's just, the problem is if you have a first line player and he doesn't pan out and become a star, a lot of times you tend to give up on the guy. Remember, remember that, you know, Montreal got Philip Deneau because, Chicago took him in the first round. He scored at half a point a game pace in the AHL, and then Chicago gave up on him and traded him for like 20 games of Dale Weiss and Thomas Fleischman, right? Yeah. 
So, so it, this is a pattern that you see with any number of teams and, you know, it just happens over and over again. So, you know, I think Paling is going to be an NHLer. I think he's going to play a number of games. Uh, where is he going to play and what role? I don't know yet, but um, you know, if, if we can all just kind of wipe our minds and forget that he's a first rounder, like I think there's value with this guy. Now, uh, Dominic Ducharme in his last press conference was talking about the depth, uh, the depth of players at center. He was just mentioning names and, and Paling's name came up. Do you feel that, well, obviously he's going to get used at center. Do you feel that he would be better served to uh, play in a fourth line role at the NHL level or just send him back to the AHL? Honestly, like, I don't really think it matters just because wherever you play him at center, I think there's going to be issues. Like if you play him at center in the AHL and he's putting up like, you know, three points every four games or something like that. Well, it still doesn't make his game any more translatable. Like he's going to build his confidence. Sure. But like, you know, he's still going to have trouble being a distributor and being, you know, a creator for his line mates. Whereas if you play him in the NHL as a winger, then obviously his upside is going to be capped and, you know, his confidence might, might ebb and flow, but really it's just, it's one of those things where like, unless there's a serious fundamental change, it doesn't really matter where you put the guy. I don't think. Okay. Um, and speaking of more of a creator at center, uh, the Canadians brought in a new centerman, uh, Christian Dvorak, former London Knight and Arizona Coyote, who comes into Montreal. And unfortunately, he's going to be uh, compared to Kotkaniemi no matter what happens uh, on either side. But you did a piece on him as well. And you wanted to open people's eyes a little bit to say, uh, who haven't watched him play much because he plays out West that he is a better player than some people who just look at hockey DB would expect. So what could they expect? So first off, like I'm looking at these training camp lines and he's playing with Drew and Anderson, correct? Yes. Um, I'm not a fan of Dvorak with Anderson simply because Anderson's game is take the puck down the right wing, shoot it and not pass it to anybody else. Whereas if you want to maximize the Vorax game, you got to put him with a right winger who's more more of a creator. Like I'm thinking, like either Toffoli or Gallagher, he would work really well with because, like Dvorak is not he's not an overwhelming puck carrier, but he works well in space. And you want to put him with a partner who's also a good offensive player in a collective sense. Like I could really see Dvorak playing like a tough minute matchup role with Brendan Gallagher and still be able to outscore a lot of the opposing, you know, second or first lines. I really see it. Um, especially if you can find him a good left winger, that's going to compliment. Like it might even be Durant. I don't know, but, but it's possible, but I just think Dvorak with Anderson sells him short because he's going to pass the puck to Anderson and then Anderson's not going to pass it back to him. And really the, the value of Dvorak is, He's able to, to make the plays at center, but then find space and get open as a shooting option. And I think Gallagher is going to be able to find him. I think Toffoli is going to be able to find him. I think Caulfield is going to be able to find him, but I don't think Anderson's the guy. Now, Gallagher's strength in the transition game would really pair well with Dvorak. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a good shooter. Now, do you, do you feel that he would increase the power play for the Canadians as well. 
So in Phoenix, uh, sorry, in Arizona, um, he played the bumper, which is the middle of the one three one. And Arizona had a pretty weak power play in general, but Dvorak was one of the, the main shooters. Like um, Dvorak's not a big guy. He's maybe six foot, six foot one. But he, he has this knack of getting between players, almost kind of like a, a messy type of player who's playing kind of in that half space between defenders. And, you know, in hockey, like on the power play especially, it's, it's a really big asset to have a player who can kind of, start in and out of traffic and then you find him in a soft spot he's able to take a one-timer and score off that so on the power play i think he, he can be an asset in that sense because the habs haven't really had a a player who's really comfortable in that role like at various times you see Tafoli or gallagher play there um i think armia might have played there but they're um like i think dvorak is better in that role than all of these guys do you think they've done enough to fit uh, with the addition of Dvorak and uh, Hoffman, who's out injured for now, but will be back in about a month? Do you think with all those additions that the Canadians have done enough to improve on their 19th overall power play to where they're actually going to be, uh, it's going to be a weapon that they could use? Like every year I, I see people predicting that like, this is the year that the Habs get like a top 10 power play. And every year, like it just doesn't happen. Like I, I remember this time last year, my buddy Eric Engel made a, a, a very bold prediction that the Habs were going to have a five, top five power play. And you just told me that they were 19. So, you know, we're, we're still a, quite a ways off. And once again, if you look at more of the stats side, you know, the Habs historically have had poor power plays because they don't have very good shooting volume, right? So when, when you have a power play that's low, low on shooting volume in terms of like shot per 60 or expected goals per 60, that first of all points to a problem with gaining the line with control and setting up, right? Mm-hmm. And the Habs haven't done anything to address that. Like they're, they're number one, power play quarterback is Jeff Petrie, who's a pretty good puck carrier, but I wouldn't say that he's elite, especially on the power play. Like he can, he can carry the puck up and build some speed, but he doesn't have that deception that let's say Victor Hedman has, or, you know, even, even Eric Gustafson, like Gustafson would have been a much better power play quarterback. And you saw that at times last year, right? Because he's very quick laterally. He's really shifty. Um, you know, not a perfect player, but just has a really nice skill set in that regard. So Petrie is not really that guy. Um, and he, he's not getting any quicker. Um, Sovar is not that guy. Uh, Niku's not even that guy. Like, you, like you're going to have to really rework his fundamentals and get him to feel good with the puck again. And maybe eventually he can be that. But right now, like, I just don't really see it. So that brings up, uh, being a possession issue that brings up the importance of face-offs. There's been debate in our timeline. We've been going back and forth with certain listeners and guests uh, discussing the importance of face-offs and many of them feel that is not that important, but when you're, you're a team like the Canadians, how important are winning face-offs? Well, I mean, with, with all the other things that we, we got going on, it's like, you know, winning face-offs can buy you an inch, whereas being better at the other side of the game, the other aspects that we talked about, that buys you a foot, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it does help. It does make a difference. But there, the question is how much relative to other factors. 
Yeah. And without those other factors, if all you get is an inch, uh, you still need more. Exactly. Now, on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you for a hot take here. It doesn't have to be about the Canadians, but uh, just a hot take in general for this season. What, something that you would expect. Uh, I think the Habs are really in tough to make the playoffs because, you know, Tampa is still very good, even though they lost their entire, you know, second slash third line with that, that Gord unit they lost. They're still a really good team. Uh, you know, Toronto is still a really good team. Florida is a team on the rise and they're only getting better. They added Sam Reinhart, which is going to be a big thing for them. Boston's still kicking around. They might be a little bit vulnerable, but in terms of playoffs, like that's it, right? I just like, I just named all the playoff seeds uh, in the Atlantic. So which team is Montreal going to leapfrog? Like if they do better than Boston, they still got to fight through three other teams, right? So do you, if, if they were to find a way to leapfrog, what would they need to add to the team in your, in your regard to actually be able to leapfrog enough teams to make the playoffs? So, um, so the one thing that Elon Musk talks about when he talks about like Tesla and SpaceX is in his mind, the product is not the Tesla car or the SpaceX rocket. For him, the product is the factory that creates those products, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. So, you know, I've been a Habs fan since 1997. So a good number of years, you know, like 25 years. And every, like, every few years, we're like, we got to start over. We got to trade everybody. We got to, you know, sign these guys and change the coach and change the GM. And at no point that I feel like there was really a concerted effort to build a factory, right? Like what's like, where are we getting our coaches? Where are we getting our managers? Where are we getting our scouts? Where are we getting our players? It's all really haphazard. Like Montreal is a city with such a hockey history and such passionate fans and such interested people. Uh, I know because I'm one of them, right? And like, I love this team and I work for this team. And the thing that really pains me is there was never a concerted effort to make this organization more than any other team. Like you have a lot of local people that you can tap into. And I don't just mean players, you know, because every other year it seems like people complain that the Habs aren't signing enough French players. French Canadian players, um, but just like you know, why why don't they have a player development department that makes players better? Why don't they grow their coaches in house instead of hiring them from elsewhere? Uh, why aren't don't they have some sort of like a scouting trainee program or a management trainee program where you know you can tap into the passion and knowledge in the province and and build something that's that's like not cycle dependent. Right, because where are we in the cycle right now? And you could say that we're rebuilding, we're contending, it doesn't matter, but like a cycle is still a cycle. Like if you go up, you're gonna come back down. So um like this really bothers me. I like if ever I was in a position to 
have any say in how the team is run, like this will be what I would care about. Like I wouldn't even care about who's the UFA or who's the draft pick. Like I would hire people to let them make those decisions. But for me, it's just like, how can I build the hockey factory where it's self-sustaining and, you know, I could be out of here in three or five years and it's still self-sustaining. And I, I just don't see that. And honestly, as a Montrealer, like it just really pains, me. like it hurts me on a very deep level. And, you know, like I was a fan before working for the team and after working for the team and after working for another NHL team, like it's just my relationship with the organization, you know, it changes over time. And like, I just look at it with a lot of, like bitterness and almost resentment because there's so much that we can do for not a lot of money, but it's just not being done. And I just think it's so, it's so foolish. Do you feel that adding uh, an ECHL or a double a, like a baseball style system is a start? And what could they add to that? Uh, like a, like a whole department, uh, specialty coaches. Like it's, it's hard to tell, but is that at least a start? I mean, certainly it's a start. I mean, it's, if, if you, if you remember, you know, if any good Habs fan will tell you that back in the forties, fifties, sixties under Frank Selke, the Habs had the biggest farm system in the NHL, right? They were getting players, not only from Quebec where they had uh, this kind of grandfather territorial advantage where they can sign whoever they wanted, but they were getting players from Ontario. They were getting players from Saskatchewan. Like they had club teams all over sponsor teams all over the country. And so certainly if, if you want to expand your reach and get more players into the system, um, that's a way to do it. Now with the ECHL teams, like that's probably one player that you're going to develop every other year. That's going to, that's going to graduate to your NHL team. So, you know, like a Yanni Gord who started in the ECHL or a David DeArnay who started in the ECHL, like they come around only once in a few years. So however long Montreal decides to do this, they got to understand that they might only get one player out of it. So then players aren't the only thing. We're talking about equipment staff. We're talking about coaches. We're talking about scouts, analysts, uh, like people on the business side. Like, um, so maybe that's the intention, but then there's got to be a certain consistency and a certain will to, to do this long-term and to expand, right? Yeah. Well, as, as difficult as it is for people to hear, that is the truth that needs to be heard. Um, I've been banging the drum for years as well, hoping for something at the lower levels to, to start developing more. And I'm hopeful. <laughs> That's all I can really say. Um, but uh, before we before we sign off, because I know you're very busy, uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. But before we sign off, can you can you uh, let my listeners know where to find you again? So the easiest way to find me is on Twitter. Uh, my handle is J H A N H K Y. So you're going to get a lot of free content. I tweet on a regular basis. If you like what you see, then you can sign up for my free newsletter. Uh, there's a link to sign up uh, on my Twitter profile. And then if you really want the good stuff, uh, you can buy one of my eBooks. Uh, the most recent one is called Hockey Tactics 2021. It has 10 chapters um, filled with insights on how the best NHLers play, what separates a good team from a bad team, uh, my experiences interviewing uh, for the Maple Leafs job with Lou Lamorello and Kyle Dubas 
some personal anecdotes uh, explaining how I got to where I am today. So a lot of good stuff for players who want to get better, coaches want to get better, parents who want to understand the game more, or people who want to work in the game. So, so, so that's it for me. Well, as someone who has purchased a couple of these, well, one of these books already, at least, uh, I know it, I know it helped me as a coach, uh, not so much as a player because, you know, I'm old, <laughs> I'm old and I lack talent, but, uh, I try, uh, but I definitely, uh, I definitely urge my listeners to check it out and buy it. So I want to thank you for, for giving me some of your time today and yeah. giving us a really good insight. I really appreciate it, Jack. And, and then the final thing I'd say is whenever I talk about the haves, like I just get really down and, it's, and it sucks. I don't, like, I don't like it. But what I would say, you know, as a, as a longtime Habs fan and as a Montrealer is if, if, you, if you love this team and, you know, if you love the sport, just be the change that you want to see. You know, like do a good job playing or do a good job developing players and maybe one day it's going to trickle down and you know those players are going to make the halves or maybe you're going to coach the halves or whatever like you know just just spend less time getting depressed over this team and spend more time you know being the change that you want to see that's that's actually excellent uh excellent advice and i i'm going to use it for more entertainment from time to time and uh i can't wait to get back to montreal and be in person someday all right well thanks for having me uh and uh take care you too thanks a lot have you ever needed a fragrance that matches your every social media post well if you're on twitter after dark and feel a little angry you can wear fire perky this fragrance is available on every social media site on every message board. Fire Perky. So when you need to smell like your social media accounts take a bath in. Fire Perky. You'll need no other fragrance. Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. 
Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.